0: Okay, you guys, thanks so much for joining me today. Unless you guys have not read Parents Magazine or heard glowing reviews about this person who is my guest, I'm sure that you have some idea of who she is, but I'm going to let her give her backstory so that we can all learn from her experience. Tracy, tell me who you are, what do you do, and how did you get to this place in your career?
1: Yeah, my name is Tracy Kutchlow. And I'm the author of a parenting book called Zero to Five, 70 Essential Parenting Tips Based on Science. How did I get to this place? I suppose if you start at the beginning, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest on one of the rocky beaches. I was one of three girls. My mom stayed home with us. My dad was a longshoreman. And one of the defining things about my childhood was my age. I skipped a grade. I had a summer birthday. And so It was the first thing people would comment on when they found out how old I was and and say, wow, you must be so smart. So I kind of took this achieving identity on. I graduated from college at 20. I went on to have an award-winning career at Daily Newspapers in Journalism and at Microsoft. And during that time, I was doing these side projects as a book editor of some best-selling books. and. So I was pretty used to being to feeling competent, and then I had a baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and suddenly I felt pretty out of my depth. Fortunately for me, I one of the books I had edited was called "Brain Rules for Baby: Childhood Brain Development Book," and I felt like you know that's helpful to have that research bouncing around in my head, but once I actually had the baby in front of me, everything goes out the window. It's all very different. And I wanted to know what to do. I love to research. I'm a perfectionist. So I wanted to know the best information. I wanted to know about everything. After having done all of that, I figured other parents probably had the same questions that I did. And I'm a fan of efficiency. I thought we should not all have to read the same books. (laughs) And try To reinvent the wheel, figuring it all out, and I really wanted to create this reference just to put that research in one place, and so that is how zero to five came to be. Wow,
0: that's crazy! I skipped a grade too, I skipped sixth grade, and it is true. I mean, of course, my parents didn't mean it as a way for me to have this like perfectionism, like achieving like identity, but I, I do think that is something that sets you up, like that people go, Oh, you're only 11, you know what I mean? Like it totally. is, yeah, it's really interesting <laughs> as a side conversation. That's that could be for another podcast that so would be. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is great. I love it. Yeah, and I do I mean, I see some of that though even in 0 to 5. So, for those who don't, I mean, I'm I'm holding the book right now. You can't see me, but 0 to 5, you know, goes through a number of a number of facets of childhood and of how as parents, new parents, we can kind of promote wellness, promote social, emotional development, promote things like communication skills and working well with others and like all those things. But it very much, there is an underlying theme of like, Effort over accomplishment, of bravery over perfectionism. So that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sometimes you want to save your, save other people from yourself, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, totally, totally. So tell me, how did you get involved in the Brain Rules for Baby? Because you're not, you don't have a medical background, right? Or like a pediatrician? No, my background is in journalism. So
1: very much about synthesizing information and making it friendly and accessible. So. Yeah, that was random a little bit. But I did a sample edit for the publisher. And the author, you know, reviewed a few different editors work blind and chose mine. So
0: (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. Well, and then it set you up probably for this book to at least have like you said, some framework for, okay, this is how, these are like the types of things that people write about (laughs) in this, in this realm. Oh, it was more personal than that. It was the publisher
1: coming to me and saying, you edited this book about how to raise a baby. Now
0: you're going to have one and you have to put this stuff into practice. What a great story. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be difficult. I, I hear you too. And I, I felt the exact same way as even a pediatrician, like a trained pediatrician. I'd been doing this in actual private practice for 5 years or so before I had my first baby and she hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, I just had so much like so much that came at me that I feel like I could have had all the book knowledge in the world and it didn't matter once she was here because all my emotions and the stress of it and she was not an easy baby. Listeners know this because I talk about this all the time. That, you know, that that just set me up for not being able to actually use the information that I had previously to my full advantage. And I like your book because it's more of this like bite-sized chunks of information and really visual. Can you explain to people kind of the format and why you chose that format for people? Yeah, it is a very
1: different book. It's almost It almost looks like a coffee table book where it's a large format. It's got a hidden spiral binding, so it lays open flat. And then there are these full page, full color photographs of families. I was honored to have a photojournalist who I'd worked with previously to take those photographs. And yeah, and then it's just kind of one tip per page. I designed it that way because that was something I wanted as a new parent, just quick information that was very practical. You know, there's, there's so much information out there, so many books and you, but you know, when you're pregnant, you kind of have the bandwidth to read through those, but then you forget what they said (laughs) once your baby arrives and you just don't have the mental bandwidth to go back and read through them for those little nuggets of practical information. Like, how do I actually apply this? So I love the science I love, but I really wanted to know in those moments, what am I supposed to be doing?
0: Yeah, no, it's (laughs) like bullet points. It's like a Cliff Notes version of like a larger book. But I mean, I don't mean that as like a down to a down, you know, like. (laughs) No, I don't take it. I mean, that's what
1: I wanted to design for sure. Cause it's just, (laughs) yeah, let's have a reference to all the good information out there in one place and in easy to read format. You know, I think my, My background in journalism and and fine arts kind of came together there. I had been working in online journalism for a while too. And so it was just very much a part of my world about how do you make information accessible and, and friendly. And then I just, I love beautiful things. Yeah,
0: (laughs) You wanted to be pretty to look at. Well, I do think that the beauty of it is that when you have a question, even if I was saying to you before we started recording, I mean, I gave this book to two people today, to two families. And the families that I gave it to were families who I could tell were overwhelmed, even by what I was saying in the office. So I was giving some pretty basic feedback just about like, Okay, you're going to want to do some emotion coaching and kind of talking about that with their toddler, shorter phrases for things that you want them to do versus explaining it in super long sentences, that type of thing. And I could see their eyes close over. <laughs> I'm like, let me grab this book. Hold on. <laughs> like bullet point, bullet point, bullet And I feel like that allows it to click when people are already kind of in a state of like fight or flight over their parenting.
1: Yes, absolutely. And you just you need something there to refer back to and you can just when it's in that bullet point format. Yeah. And to have it laying open on on the table to the page you need, just be able to reference something as you're walking by, really, because, yeah, you have to be in the right frame of mind and just have it be laid out and simple. I mean, I literally wanted to know, like, what are some examples of words I can say in this situation, (laughs) you know? And so those are the kinds of things in the book and real stories too, because that was missing for me in the books I was reading too, where it was like, you know, here's a scenario and the parent said this and the kid did that and then boom, it was fixed. And And in my experience,
0: that's that's not how things were going down. So <laughs> yeah, never, not at my house. That's definitely not what's going down at my house. <laughs> so what surprised you? Was there anything that you learned like What surprised you the most when you were learning these 70 essential parenting tips based on science? I mean, that's a lot of tips that I'm sure you did not know. I mean, there's so many because you
1: talked about brain roles as a framework. I did start out thinking of it in terms of brain development, but then it was just like, well, I have all these other questions about sleep and food and and the other parents around me do too, discipline. So it kept growing, but... <laughs> You know, I think what surprised me was just my capacity for changing who I was, like uh, my willingness to try to be a better person for my daughter. And one of the things that popped to mind was the tip about talking to your child about everything, you know, really being with them in the world and explaining what they're seeing. And I am super introverted. You know, your baby is not talking back to you. So it's kind of weird to go. It feels weird at first to just be. Talking at least it did to me, yeah, to an infant, yeah, but I took that on, and I felt like that really set us up beautifully for for really including her in in my life, you know, not just setting her in front of a, a screen, but you know when she was eighteen months old, she wanted to help unload the dishwasher and making it possible for that to happen, you know, or showing her what I was how I was fixing a suitcase or just <laughs> whatever it was explaining to her what was going to happen next for her. And yeah, it just, it set us up really well. And it's not something that I would have thought to do on my own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's funny. Some of my colleagues, sometimes when they saw your book right in the beginning, because we give it to every single parent that comes in at two weeks of age, we have a group of private parents. That partners. is amazing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we care about it so much. We actually developed it to give to everyone in our community because we were doing a resilience project. So when I think about your book, I think about it as a way for parents to figure out how to... Parent their children in a way that sets them up to be the most resilient possible, the best contributors possible, to be the most content in their relationships and like their life choices. I mean, I hope you give yourself credit for that because I really think it's like a bigger book. And we joke sometimes at our clinic because... My colleagues will say like, yeah, 40 years ago, I feel like people would have been like, yeah, just sit in the back and like, we'll get to you later. You know what I mean?
1: Not how parenting works today. That's true. (laughs) Exactly.
0: But these are the questions that parents have. I mean, I think we are thinking in like a more long-term way about our kids, um, maybe because we just have more information or maybe because we have a lot more that we're doing in the day. So then we want to make sure during the times we are with them that it's meaningful or intentional. Yeah. And I think you just
1: really feel a personal responsibility for this other human being (laughs) turning out well, you
0: know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Like in the very beginning, it's so much about survival and keeping your kid alive and all of that. But Fairly quickly, it starts to be about who am I as a parent? What is our relationship going to be? And so, yeah, that's a lot of of what's what zero to five is about.
0: You start the book by talking about steps parents can take to promote wellness and development even before a baby's birth. Talk to me about the transition of motherhood and what you think we could be doing as a society to promote wellness for moms, you know, for, for setting up that dyad for more success as they get going?
1: Oh, my goodness, so many things. You know, I think right now, it's so much on the individual parents, it's on the mother or the couple, to create the support networks that they need. And what I would love to see is really more the community coming together to support parents, I think of it in, in a few different phases, like, Those first 40 days, for example, you know, in other cultures, there's this period of time where the mother is not supposed to do anything except recover from the birth and feed the baby and everyone else comes together to make everything else happen, the cooking, the cleaning. So I think about like, how could we set up a doula system for ourselves in a way like postpartum doulas? whether you can afford one or not how could you gather the people around you together to do those things and not just bring food but or to or come visit the baby but you know really like clean the bathroom you <laughs> just like change the expectation of what is needed during that time
0: yeah 100 percent I think especially for breastfeeding I mean we really put so much pressure on moms to breastfeed and we you know know there's clearly tons of benefits of breast milk for kids. But at the same time, I have moms that come in and then just go like, well, I don't know. I can't get the sleep I need. I I feel like my milk supply is, is going down because I'm, I'm exhausted and don't have time to feed myself or give myself something to drink. And I think about how much money that we spend as a society on like baby registry gifts or on a nursery, which those things are all well and good, but I wish that, when I had my kids, I had asked people for gift cards for doulas. Totally. And food
1: for your freezer.
0: (laughs) Yes. You know, like those are the two things you actually really need. And yeah. How can we in society, like in this dream world, I, I would love it if every single mom, you know, covered by health insurance had a doula that came to her house for like a couple nights. Cause you're right in other societies, even for breastfeeding success. You're in maybe the the home with your aunts and your sisters and everybody else, and they're waking you up to say, "Hey, it's time to feed." You know, they're bringing you everything, they're letting you sleep, they're soothing your baby while you sleep. Much more communal.
1: Yes, and I think those home visits are a really important part of it, especially for the breastfeeding, like to have someone come and help you, show you like hands-on in your home, in your environment, that would be huge. And I think another piece of it is just that emotional transition for parents is completely unrecognized right now. I think there should be this period of grieving really that your old self is gone. And, you know, right now there's only a focus on the joy that the baby is going to bring, which yes, is also true, but both things are true. And I think parents get kind of emotionally lost without this marking of this incredible transition that's happening.
0: I could not agree more with that. I see a lot of families and moms, and I think I did this in the beginning too, who kind of try to like make it my old self plus the baby as opposed to like my new self Who has a baby, if that makes sense. Like I just like added my baby as like a plus one to my life, (laughs) as opposed to being like, well, no, there are some things that are gonna have to change. And that's okay to mourn that, to have grief over that, that your life is different. Your life is different.
1: You're going to be a different person, and you're going to experience so many more facets of yourself. I think that's the incredible thing that a child brings into your life is like that massive expansion of your range of emotions <laughs> and just like this holding up a mirror to yourself and this opportunity to kind of heal some things from your own childhood. These are things I'm thinking about for my next book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The five to 10. Because <laughs> you have a seven-year-old. Is
1: that right? I do. Yeah. My daughter's seven now, but but I'm still kind of thinking back at more like around age three where which is the peak of defiance and how kids that when that will starts to appear all those power struggles that happen and parents getting triggered and how surprised I was in myself at those moments and realizing zero to five is all about what things you need to do with your child but at some point you realize there's some things you need to do with yourself
0: (laughs) hi mama guess what Our book, The New Baby Blueprint, is out in the world. We're so excited because we know it's going to help change the new motherhood experience. The Bump said, they say motherhood doesn't come with a manual, but the new baby blueprint comes pretty close. You can find it wherever books are sold or check it out at modernmommydoc.com forward slash book. So my three-year-old, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And my three-year-old yesterday was just, she's, she's just having a rough time like in life. Like, I mean, she just is like so like angry at everyone and wants to do everything herself and gets so irritated and like yells at me if I sing along to like a song in the car. She's just like, start it over, you know. And yesterday we pick her up from my mom's house. She's watching her. And she gets in the car and she goes, I really need a break. I've just had a really hard day, mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I say. <laughs> it's true. Aww. I mean, it's a mirror up to exactly, I mean, not always, but I mean, she's dramatic, but that is how I sometimes come home. My husband will go, well, how's it going? How'd it go today? I go, oh, such a rough day. I had a hard day. I mean, <laughs> I just love
1: that she has these
0: words for articulating. <laughs> and,
1: and like, I need a break. What? <laughs> My first child's first phrase was, it's complicated.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So you can tell I was a pro in the beginning at the verbal, like vomiting out of my mouth, like every single, like I'd be at the store, like black beans and like, you know, rice and what are we going to get for dinner? But I had to work on the short phrases with the kids.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. No, it's so helpful when they <laughs> when they have that language to explain what's going on for them.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the next book could be about uh, about that defiance and like how that, not just the defiance, but like those those parts of childhood that mirror back to you what are the things maybe you need to work on or continue refining or reflecting on or digging deeper on.
1: Yeah. It's about looking inward. It's really about self-acceptance actually, like raising kids who really feel accepted for who they are and feeling that ourselves.
0: How about after the 40 day mark, how did you build community with other moms or with dads or with just in people in general? Cause I feel like that is so hard to do with adults. Well, that is one thing I really appreciated the Brain Rules book for was
1: coming into it, understanding how important that was going to be. So I was really oriented in that way, going to classes. If I passed by another mom at the grocery store, making an effort to share something honest, not just on the surface, or with friends, you know, like having a group text, just being like, "I'm going out to do this now," and not trying to make plans, but just inviting people to whatever was happening because it's just too hard to, to plan. And then I live in Seattle. We're very fortunate to have a group called PEPs. I'm, I love it so much. I'm on the board, actually. But They organize 12 weeks of meetings among parents in your neighborhood in people's homes. So you really get to share intimately what's going on in your life with other people going through the same thing and people who live nearby you. So yeah, looking for for groups like that and then really like taking advantage if anybody said they would watch my kid, taking them up on that, not not waiting for them to ask again or to propose a day or feeling like it would be a burden just going for it. A friend of mine and I decided we would have these we called them sibling swaps. I would take my daughter over to her house for the weekend and then the next time we would switch off and so we would get get a break that way and our kids would kind of have siblings.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a really good idea. I've never heard of anyone say that before. But I think just the idea of, you know, you really cannot be a good parent in my mind unless you are taking care of yourself. Like I I think you can function. You can still, you can still do the surface stuff. Of course you can make sure they get dressed and all that. But I think in terms of imparting those deeper resilience pieces and like the parts that really matter and having the bandwidth to care about what your toddler is trying to explain to you about their Lego Duplo thing. Like, I only care if I've taken a minute for myself, you know, (laughs) let's be really real. I can go through the motions, but giving her my actual attention or really being mindful when I'm with her takes me having to kind of taking care of my own stuff first.
1: That is so true. And to me that capacity comes from community. Absolutely. I think there's the sense of self-care as like going to get a pedicure once a week or something. No. It's about having the community around you to have the support you need, the regular breaks that you need, the getting in touch with what feeds you personally and making sure that's still a part of your life in a, you know, in a new way probably, but that's still there. It's deeper. And without that kind of well of reserves, you just can't care about the Lego.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can piece it together, but I'll definitely be thinking about my next podcast episode or whatnot.
1: There is something important about presence for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. So in the book, of course, you talk about tactical, like verbal and motor development, but also about the social development pieces of, you know, a childhood and and of of a child growing up. Tell me, kind of what are the pearls that you think are some of the most important things? Or what are the the themes that you found readers resonated the most with about the social development pieces? Because I find that that's really where people get a lot of anxiety around their kids. They're okay with their walking development and their talking development, but it's really the social pieces. Is there anything in there that you feel like, man, this was a real thing I hope parents will really take home? Yeah,
1: I think it's the emotional piece. You mentioned talking with with your family about emotion coaching, I think that like recognizing emotions as almost like neutral, just like things that are going to happen and they're all fine. Like they're all acceptable and teaching our kids to have some facility with emotion around being able to recognize them and name them and be okay with them. And just how do you express them in a way that that doesn't hurt other people. But, you know, I think most of us grew up in households where certain emotions were not allowed. And so when, when those come up in our kids, or even in ourselves, we just want to stop, like, everything in our body is saying, just stop. And so to allow that development in our kids, we kind of have to step back and, and, look at ourselves and just reassess how we feel about certain emotions and our ability to sit with them and just, you know, feel the sensation of them in our bodies and know that if we allow that and focus on that, it'll pass.
0: That's so good. I love that.
1: Yeah. And what's, I mean, emotions are what drive so much of our behavior, right? And so when you have tools for coming back to your center, that's everything. Then you don't End up dismissing emotions or distracting yourself from them in unhealthy ways and and all of that. So to me, that's really the foundation. And then when you have that language around emotion and ability to sit with it with yourself and with your kid, you're able to create a wonderful relationship with your child as well. And for them to be able to develop good relationships with their peers. I've I've done I've been amazed by the work that is happening with social-emotional learning in in preschools up here in Seattle. And I see just a lot more of this happening, not only in the parenting literature, but in the schools. And I'm pretty excited to see what that's going to mean for our kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, my generation, especially for girls, was so focused on performance and on appearances and on on like what it means to be a good girl or what it means to be like a success. And I find myself even with those things, like my daughter will have an emotion and I feel myself, my first instinct is like to be ashamed for her of her emotion, which is crazy. It's not crazy. That's how you probably raised. Yeah. Yeah. And then it takes really thinking through at that moment. And again, I think you have to have, in order to think through it, you have to have the space to be calm enough to be in the moment to think this is so healthy for her to have this emotion. And for me to say, I see you. Yeah. I would be angry too. I got you. I'm here. And I love you. If you're angry, if you're sad, I love you no matter what you do, no matter how you feel. I mean, all those things. Thank goodness. We're learning more about that as a society.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah. Imagine what your child is coming out of the experience with when you have that reaction. That's incredible. And it's the sense of like, yeah, I'm okay the way that I am. I'm not a bad kid for having this emotion. Yeah. It's a remarkable thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then how about in the Toddler years when tantrum started up. So obviously emotion coaching them, I think early, early on. And then let's go back to that because I want to give people some really like tactical things to take away. You talk on your website about like using the short phrases as opposed to doing a ton of explanations for things that you want toddlers to do. Can you talk about that? Like instead of saying over and over, like, it's time now to go inside and like short little commands. Well,
1: actually, I think the most important way of communicating that I've come across is one called language of listening. And the first step of it is called say what you see. And that's just like whatever your kid is doing or feeling or saying in that moment, you just state it and it sounds super simple. Like once I walked in on my daughter spraying the bathroom mirror with water and my first thought was like, oh, I'm going to have to clean this. Like, this is a mess. Why did you make this mess? But I didn't say that. (laughs) Say what you see is just literally stating what's in front of you. And so I said, you're spraying the mirror with water. (laughs) And it sounds almost so (laughs) ridiculous, but, oh, my goodness, it gives your brain a pause and it gives your child a chance to give you more information. So my daughter turned to me with this big smile on her face and she was – she was like, yeah, and and just that reaction helped me reframe what I was thinking about the situation and <laughs> and then to be like, oh, actually, yeah, you're this is this is creative. You're like painting with water. I had a completely different response just from making that my first step. And I think, you know, that's kind of a simplistic example, but when we can do that when our kids are also feeling upset about something, then they're, they're feeling like we see them, that they're heard, and that's really the first step to calming, to understanding the situation, to having a reaction that fits it, to helping them with what they're trying to accomplish. So that first step, say what you see, and then the next part of it, if you don't like what you see, is to offer a can-do, something your child can do instead. In that moment in the bathroom, I realized, well, what was important to me was actually that my daughter clean up after herself. That I didn't want to clean up the mess. So it was, then I could just say, you know, here are some towels for when you're done. Or I could say, hmm, well, if you wanted to play with water, the bathroom is actually a pretty good place to do it. But next time, let's keep it to the bathtub or whatever, whatever works for me. And then the third part of it is to name a strength, which I just love. Cause so often we get in this mode of controlling and correcting and never point out to our kids. great things about them and what they're doing. And so in that moment, I said, you know, you're being creative, you're playing with water, you're being creative. And it's just like, wow, your kid can leave the situation with a good feeling about themselves, instead of that they're messing up and irritating you. And, but the thing is that, that moment of say what you see of acknowledging what's happening with your kid is so helpful for just preventing the, the power struggles and the tantrums in the first place because what's really happening there is our kids are trying to tell us something and, and we, kinda, we don't get it. We're in our own perspective. We're dismissive. We have our own agenda, whatever. And then they have to keep trying to tell us and they keep escalating. And then we get upset because of the escalation and then you know it turns into a whole other thing. But if we just start from the beginning acknowledging them, It changes the whole trajectory.
0: I love that. And I, that works so well with siblings too. I, I first read about that in the book, peaceful parent, happy siblings. And she describes that really clearly with siblings, but then of course you can do it just with one child as well, but the same thing happens. You see your child kind of stop. And look at you like, what? You know, you're not going to yell at me for this. You're not going to get mad at me for this. And when siblings are fighting, you can just do it as like you say what you see. Like you had the toy and now she wants to play with the toy. And you see them like, yeah, that is what happened. Yeah, I'm so good about that. Totally. And then with the can do part,
1: they're so good at coming up with their own solutions. (laughs) Like if you, you know, if your kid is maybe two or under, you might give a couple options, but three and above, you can literally say,
0: there must be something you can do. And they've got all these ideas that work well for them. <laughs> Absolutely. The other thing you talked about in the book, a heavy emphasis on the calm down versus the timeout, which listeners go read the book, zero to five, so you can read all about it. But I so appreciate that approach too, because I think it takes it from a punishment to if your child's doing something wrong. So basically short version, calm down is instead of you saying like, go on the step and stay there for three minutes. It's more like, it sounds like you need a break. Why don't you go to your like calm spot? And then when you're ready to rejoin the group, then you can and kind of giving some options for what to do in the calm spot. So that just reframes things for kids. Well, and it sets
1: up taking a break when you need one is a good thing, right? Like, Here's something you're doing for yourself and for them to recognize when they need that yeah, my daughter's preschool let the kids choose little spots for themselves. They called it their magic spot. And the kids could go there when they needed to, which was incredible, cuz they did. <laughs> and it's like your daughter getting in the car and saying, "I've had a hard time. I need a break." It's like, "Yeah, that is the that is what you need." Yeah, it treats our kids like
0: humans, the humans that they are.
1: It gives them good tools for for dealing with, yeah, those struggles. And it hurts my heart when parents are yelling and the kids sitting on the stair and they don't want to be there and it sets up this whole dynamic that's you know you can't actually force your kid to stay there so then what's your next move it's just and they're not sitting there thinking about
0: what they did wrong or whatever <laughs> right yeah they're thinking about how mad they are you most of the time or how they really want to be out of that spot or their metaphorical lids are pretty flipped in that moment right It's not productive exactly
1: yeah so it's kind of like what is our purpose as parents you know, is it really just to to punish something that we didn't like? Or is it to provide our children with tools that they can use as they grow up in life? You know, which one do you want them to have for themselves as they grow up the ability to say, Oh, I'm feeling this thing. I need a break right now. I know how to create this great little cozy spot for myself where I can
0: come back into center. I think that's, Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's so useful.
0: Yes. I mean, I think really the crux of zero to five is about setting your child up for future success. And I think you will have, and not success like they go to Harvard, but more like success, like they're functioning humans. With a good relationship with you. (laughs) Yeah. But it will probably give benefit. It will give benefits in the short term. I, I, think that the advice that you give in the book and the scientific tips that you give do make it easier to parent in the moment but even more importantly like you're saying It just sets our kids up to have a pathway to figure out when we're not there, how to deal with their emotions, how to deal with it when things don't go the way they want it to go, how to communicate with people when we're not there with them. Yes. And it's these moments now when they need
1: the chance to practice those things. Because right now, you know, what's happening is so small. It barely matters. Like, you know, the Lego thing fell apart and they have to deal with that disappointment. Yeah. Figure out how to Deal with disappointment right now and these small things so that you've got that practice by the time you're out of the house. But totally, yeah. If it didn't if it didn't make parenting easier right now,
0: it would that be would pretty much worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that much forward thinking. I have to have it work somewhat now. Totally. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on today. I really, really appreciate it. I know our listeners just got so much gold. I'm sure they were like writing down jotting notes, but you don't have to do that. You can just go buy her book.
1: <laughs> it's just notes. The book is already the notes for you. Yeah.
0: There you go. It's already a clip notes. Um, can you tell people where to find you and where to find your book? Yeah. My website is 025.net,
1: dot net, And I've got a mailing list there. But then the book is also on Amazon, in your bookstore. If it's not in your bookstore, let them know. And they can order it. Awesome. Thank you
0: so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast so you're automatically notified every time we have powerful information, inspiration, and amazing guests to share with you. We would also be so honored if you shared the Modern Mommy Doc podcast with your friends by snapping a screenshot of this episode and posting it with hashtag Modern Mommy Doc so we can spread the word and help more mamas win at parenting without losing themselves. Thanks for being part of our community.